so we're talking about gates these days. And today we are talking about the water gate. And if you are my age or older, that term means one thing. It means Richard Nixon. How many of you remember Richard Nixon? Uh, all right, a bunch of you do. If you're, if you're younger and you don't remember Richard Nixon, let me tell you about Richard Nixon. There was a huge scandal in the 70s. Richard Nixon was president of the United States. And Richard Nixon had a thirst for power, a thirst for power. And he was willing to open any gate that it took to quench his thirst for power. You remember? Some of you were, I, I remember when the whole thing went down. His thirst for power led to a, a robbery of the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. There was illegal wiretapping. Richard Nixon began to cover up his crimes. He lied to Congress. He paid hush money to his henchmen. The administration even went so far as to kidnap a woman who knew everything that was going on to silence her so she wouldn't witness against Richard Nixon. This is what a thirst for power looks like. And his story ended in disgrace as he was the only president to ever resign. And history today remembers him as a crook and a liar. Now, if you're a Richard Nixon fan, I apologize for insulting you. But Richard Nixon was a crook and a liar. Anyway. <laughs> the Watergate is about thirst. This is where we're going today. The Watergate is about thirst. And you can thirst for power or you can thirst for Jesus. There's all kinds of things you can thirst for. We're going to talk about them today. And the question that I want to invite us all to ponder today, and I've been pondering it all week, what are you thirsty for? And how are you quenching that thirst? Now, Rob did a great job of introducing this series, but if you're here with us for the first time or if you're back after being away for a while, let me just catch you up because all of these gates and walls and Nehemiah and all that kind of stuff might sound a little foreign to you if, you've been, uh, if you haven't been here these last several weeks. But we're in a series uh, from Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah is a book of history in the Old Testament. And in chapter 3 of this book of history, Nehemiah is rebuilding the destroyed wall around Jerusalem. And him, he and his team are rebuilding the gates. Each of the gates has a name. And uh, if you've been with us, you probably have seen the map that, that has, has gone out. And we've started over there at the Sheep Gate. We've talked about the Fish Gate, the Old Gate. Rob talked about the Valley Gate. The Dung Gate was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Last week, Kelly talked about the Fountain Gate. And now we're over there on the eastern side of the wall at the Fountain Gate. And we've shared with you each week that what, what we're doing in this series is we're talking about the fact that all of us is like a city. My life is like a city. And all of us have a tendency to put up walls. But here's the problem. A walled city without gates is a dead city. You can't survive if you just wall yourself off from everything. So we've been talking about how we repair the gates how we pay attention to the gates. Some gates need to be opened, some need to be closed, like the dung gate needs to open for the dung goat to go out, and you need to close it behind the dung, right? And, and, and so it, it's just wisdom to know that in our cities, we have to have healthy gates. 
We're going to talk today about the Watergate. And, uh, and I've got a map that's different than the one that, that we've been using the last several weeks because I wanted to use a map that has a little more detail. So I know all the words that are up on this, this map that are coming up are going to be a little hard to see, but just stay with me because I have a point here for this new map. Is it there yet? There it is. All right. This one has been turned north is to the top like a map should be. That other yellow map north is on the wrong side. But here you can see what is probably familiar to you now. And, and what I want you to see is on this map, the water gate is where this first arrow is. Is that there? Okay. There's where the water gate is. On this map, the water gate is in a little different place than the map that I prepared for you, the, the yellow one. This one I'm thinking is probably a little more accurate. And, and what you need to know is that this Watergate was in a very strategic location. It was actually inside a section of older wall that doesn't appear on that other map that we've been using. You see, in, in the history of Jerusalem, they built the wall around the city. I've got it right here. They built this wall around the city to protect the city, but their their water source, the Gahan Spring, was outside the wall of the city. So at some point, they built another wall out here on the southern end to protect the spring and the water source that was in there. And then the gate that led out of the city into this walled area led to the water source, the Gahan Spring that Kelly talked about last week. And that was very, very important and very strategic. And so when we get to the section of Nehemiah chapter 3 that talks about the water gate, we read about a whole lot of people in a whole lot of places. And instead of having you look at the words in Nehemiah 3, why don't you just take a look at the map so you can kind of visualize what is happening. But at the same time, what I want you to do is see if you can catch, as I read these verses to you, see if you can catch what is different about the water gate from any of the other gates that we have studied so far. All right, here we go. Nehemiah 3, starting at verse 25, here's what we read. Palal, son of Uzai, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Padiah, son of Parosh, with the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel. They repaired the wall as far as a point across from the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great projecting tower. There's two projecting towers, great projecting towers, and over to the wall of Ophel. Now, there's a whole bunch of names in here. There's a whole bunch of parts of the wall that are being repaired in this part of the, the account but did you catch what is different about the water gate from any of the other gates? No. <laughs> Natasha says no. Here's what's different. You ready for this? The water gate is the only gate that Nehemiah doesn't say was repaired. If you've been with us, you'll remember. If you go back to all of the other gates, it says, we rehung the gates and repaired its bars and its bolts. In this verse about the water gate, no mention of repairing the gate. And I want to propose to you, and, and Bible scholars agree, that this gate was never destroyed. The water gate 
was never destroyed. And I believe there's a reason for it, and it means something to our city and the water gate that we have that needs to be functioning in the walls of our life. We'll get to that in just a minute. But here's where I want to go first. This gate, the water gate, was the site of a very important event later on in the book of Nehemiah. And if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. There's an account, it won't be up on the screen, but there's an account there that I want us to read that happens at the water gate. This is so cool. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm starting actually at the very end of 7. It says in October, they they repaired the wall in 53 days in the spring. Now we're in October. When the Israelites had settled in their towns, verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, all the people assembled with unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Can you picture it now? There's the, the wall, there's the protected part of the wall and the water gate. Everybody assembles right there. Evidently, there was a big town square or something. There was a big area where everybody could assemble, all of the people uh, of Jerusalem. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Now, remember, this is two and a half millennia ago. They didn't have Bibles in those days. What the people had was likely a scroll that had a copy of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was the law of Moses. And the people asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the law of Moses and they assembled to hear it. All right, God, are you with me? Verse two. Boy, that was a really long verse one. I'll go a little faster. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon, and he read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. You thought Connect Church services were long. That was a funny joke. (laughs) Verse 6. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then verse 7 says, The Levites, and all their names are there, I'm not going to try to read them. The Levites then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. And they read from the book of the law of God and clearly, I love this part, they clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. I love that because I believe that it's my job to help people understand what the Bible says because, let's be honest, the Bible is sometimes hard to understand, right? And, and these Levites, these leaders understood that the book of the law was going to be hard to understand, so they explained it to the people. I love that. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, said to the people, look at this, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. Because the people were weeping as they heard the law of Moses being explained to them. They said, today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. And the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. 
interesting, isn't it? How the people assembled, they heard the law of Moses, and they began to weep. Why do you think they began to weep? Guilt. Guilt. I, I think it was probably an understanding. Maybe for the first time, it had been 70 years since the exile to Babylon had started. Maybe for the first time, this gathering of people understood why destruction had come upon their city. And it was because the Lord had given them this covenant that said, if you obey me, I will always protect you. If you disobey me, I will withdraw my protection from you. And what did their ancestors do? do? They disobeyed and disobeyed again and again and again so that when the Babylonians came, they didn't have the protection of Yahweh to keep them from the destruction. I think that would make anybody weep. Now, the water gate. As I've been doing my research on this particular gate, what I've found is that a lot of Bible teachers say that because of this event in Nehemiah chapter 8, the Watergate teaches us that it's important to read the Bible. And, and almost all of these teachers that I've studied in the last couple of weeks have called the Bible the Word of God. How many of you have ever heard the Bible called the Word of God? I, I think most of us even actively say this is the Word of God. And what I've found as I've been researching is something that might surprise you, and it's this. The Bible... And the word of God are not the same thing. Those are not synonyms. And so if the water gate is about thirst, it would appear in, in reading Nehemiah chapter 8 that the people of Jerusalem were thirsting for the Bible. That would be a normal conclusion to come to. But there's a problem with that understanding. And the problem is this. The people all heard the law of Moses read to them. They heard the Bible being read to them, but it didn't quench their thirst. How do I know that? Well, if you turn to the very end of Nehemiah, chapter 13, what we find in chapter 13 is that as soon as Nehemiah went back to the city of Susa to his day job serving the king over there, as soon as he went back, all the people went back to their normal lives and they stopped obeying Yahweh. And when Nehemiah heard about it, he came back to Jerusalem and started cracking the whip and telling the people, what are you thinking? Didn't you learn your lesson? Our ancestors disobeyed and they were met with destruction. What? My favorite verse in chapter 13 is, is uh, verse 25. If you've got your Bible, it's up on the screen. Here's what Nehemiah says. He says, so I confronted them and I called down curses on them and I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. If we're making Nehemiah a model of leadership, we might need to change some things around here at Connect. <laughs> Here's the problem that I want you to see with me today. Reading the law of Moses didn't quench the people's thirst. As soon as their accountability partner went away, they just went back to the old ways. How many of you have ever experienced that? You, you hear... The Bible read, you hear a truth, you hear a great sermon, and you have an emotional response, but as soon as that emotion begins to fade, you just go back to living your old way. It's probably because we're quenching our thirst with the wrong thing. 
Can I ask you a question this morning? What are you thirsty for? What is it for you? And when I say thirsty, I'm asking you today, what do you crave? When, when the stress rises and you feel the pressure, what's your go-to to cope with life? What is it for you? I, I'm going to be real candid with you this morning and, and, and tell you something that you already know about me probably. My go-to is food, man. Donuts. There's a reason they call us the Donut Church. I have a tendency when life gets hard, I, I stress eat. I, um, I frustrated eat. I celebrate eat. I mean, is there anything better than birthday cake? And if we're honest with ourselves, food is necessary for life. You can't not eat, right? But if you overindulge, the Bible calls it gluttony. If you overindulge, it leads to all kinds of health problems. It, it leads to physical disabilities. You can't do stuff. And, and here's the end of that problem. When I'm satisfying my thirst with food, it leads to a disconnect with God. And that's just the fact. Now, we could say the same thing about alcohol or drugs or, 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 or what have you, all right? It, it leads to a disconnect with God. Let's talk for a minute about sex. When I ask you the question, what, what do you crave or what's your go-to, for some people it's, it's sex. And when the pressure rises, when you feel frustrated, when those hormones get flowing, you're looking for a hookup. Or you log onto your phone and you watch some porn and you feel better. And that's become your go-to. Now listen, just like food, God created sex. And in a marriage, it's great. I thought there would be at least one amen there, but I, I get it. But indulgence in sexual pleasure outside of marriage leads to addiction I, I believe sex addiction is a real thing. It leads to really funky relationships. Listen to me for a second. You all know, I don't have to tell you, porn is just one click away. There's no gate in our culture anymore. But if you're indulging in porn, it's going to make your relationships funky. And ultimately what happens is Indulging in sexual pleasure outside of marriage leads to a disconnect from God. It just does. Why? Because we're satisfying our thirst with the wrong thing. What about money? Can't live without money, unless you're a monk. But when we become obsessed with money, when we begin to hoard money, when we're, when we're sacrificing relationships to step on somebody to get to the next promotion... That just leads to all kinds of dysfunction in our relationships. How many billionaires do you know about who have a healthy marriage? They just keep trading off wife after wife. I mean, it's difficult, right? And we need money, but an obsession, in the, it just leads to funk in our lives, and it ultimately leads to a disconnect from God. Here's one that might make you real uncomfortable. 
What about relationships? You know people, I know people, maybe this describes you. You just can't live without a partner. And you find yourself making all kinds of sacrifices you swore you would never make. And you put up with crap that you shouldn't put up with. Because you've got to have the arm candy. Or because you need the security of a guy with you. And, and what happens is when we satisfy the craving with another human being that isn't healthy, what happens is we, we become codependent, we become dysfunctional. Ultimately, it leads to a disconnect from God who wants to fill that need. So what are you thirsty for? Let me talk about one more that might strike you as weird. Some people fill the craving with the Bible. Now, the Bible is important. Don't get me wrong, I love the Bible. Kelly said last week when she was teaching, I love the Bible. You hear me say that all the time. I, I love the Bible. But I know people who have become so preoccupied with the book that they've missed who the book leads to. And if the book isn't leading you to a life-giving relationship with God, what, you're ended, what, what, what you end up with is just religion. And religion is awful. And so when I ask the question, what are you thirsty for? And how are you filling that thirst? How are you quenching that thirst? There's so many things. And I want you to take just a moment to identify it for you. It might have been one of the things I've talked about. Maybe it's completely different for you. But when you're tired and you're, you're angry and you're hungry and you're, you're lonely, you're stressed, what's your go-to? What is it for you? And the question that I want to talk through for the rest of the time we have together here is how do I quench my thirst? The water gate is all about thirst. So how do I quench that emptiness in my soul? Here's the answer. If you're taking notes this morning, if you've got the note card that we passed out, this won't match your notes. I changed it this morning. Here's the answer to this question. Go through the gate to get to the water. Now, those are metaphors. I'm going to define these for us here in just a second. Go through the gate so you get to the water. I want to take you to John chapter 4. And if you've got your Bibles, you, you, you might want to turn there. John chapter 4, there's, there's an account of the life of Jesus Gospel of John is essentially a biography of Jesus, and it's just full of beautiful stories that, are, that, that give us so much information, and, and it's so important. And in John chapter 4, we have this account in which Jesus is, is traveling through a region called Samaria. Now, Samaria was a region... Uh, it was full of people who had intermarried. They were Jewish people who had intermarried with other, 
other races, other, other religions, and they had become uh, the enemies of the Jewish people that lived in Jerusalem in the southern part of the country. And when Jesus was traveling through there, the tradition was if a Jew goes through the Samarit- Samaria, the Samaritans don't talk to the Jews, the Jews don't talk to the Samaritans, they hate each other. And Jesus decides to take a load off and he's sitting next to a well where they would come to gather water. He's sitting there. He sent the disciples off to buy some food in in a nearby town. And as Jesus is sitting there, a woman comes to him, approaches him, and she begins to draw water from the well. And Jesus does what Jews are never supposed to do, and he starts a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, this was a problem because A, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. B, men don't talk to women, not women they don't know. So this, this is a huge, scandalous moment for Jesus. And the woman is surprised and they begin to banter back and forth, but they begin to talk about water. And Jesus uses water as a metaphor. And he says this, it's up on the screen, verse 13, if you've got your Bible open. Jesus says this to this woman, anyone who drinks this water from this well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. He's talking about those cravings that we all use to fill up the hole that we have in our hearts. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, think with me. For just a minute, when Jesus is having that conversation with the woman, was he holding a big old King James and telling her to read more of the Bible? No, the printing press hadn't even been invented yet. When Jesus says, come and drink of the water I give them, what's he talking about? He's talking about a life-giving connection with him. He's talking about a life-giving connection with him. If you really want your thirst quenched, you've got to get connected to Jesus. But you might ask the question, but what about the word of God? What about the word of God? I made a really interesting discovery this week. You might be way ahead of me, but I've been geeking out on this. Did you know that John chapter one begins this way? In the beginning was the word. It's a Greek word, logos. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then the key word is right next. He was in the beginning with God. Who's the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And, and here's a surprise I, I made as I just went on this ribbon chase and just kept going a little deeper and a little deeper this week. Did you know that the Bible never calls itself the word of God? There's a couple of Greek words, and I'm gonna geek out here a, a, a little bit and bear with me if you already know all this stuff. But there's a couple of Greek words that are used in the New Testament whenever it talks about the word of God. One of the Greek words is logos, the other is Rema. And, and I, 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 I studied some really in-depth resources this week, and I want to give you a couple of really great definitions of these two Greek words. The word logos expresses the totality 
of God's intelligence, his rationality, his revelation. It's like truth in the big picture. It's like flying at 30,000 feet and you can see the big picture. The word rema is speech that expresses a particular truth, a promise or a prophecy that leads to life. And so when we say that Jesus is the word of God, what we're saying is that Jesus embodies everything that God has revealed. He is the source of all truth. Jesus is the one that, that, that has all the truth. But Rema is when Jesus says something to you or me, or when we're reading the Bible, and something jumps off the page and we realize Jesus is highlighting that. Holy Spirit is beginning to show me how I can apply it to my life, and it brings me to life, and it brings me to a deeper connection with Jesus. And, and throughout the New Testament, and you can check my work, you can check me if you think I'm wrong. Throughout the New Testament, when it says word of God, it either says word, it either says logos of God or it says rema of God. And both of them are always referring back to Jesus. For example, in Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. The very next verse calls the word of God he. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about Jesus. And so my, my point is this. Some of us have stopped at reading the Bible without being connected to Jesus, who is the Word of God. This is what happened to the people in Nehemiah's day, the people of Jerusalem. They heard the law of Moses read. They heard it. They fell on their faces and they wept. But they didn't reconnect to God. So Nehemiah came back and pulled out all the hair, set up a whole bunch of laws and boundaries. That gave birth to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who studied the Bible, wrote down all the laws, 500 and some laws, made sure that everybody would keep those laws. And then they built boundaries around the laws that you couldn't cross those boundaries to make sure everybody stayed obedient because they didn't want to go back to all the hair pulling. I mean, that would be terrible. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, here were a whole bunch of Jewish people called Pharisees and Sadducees who loved the Bible, but they weren't connected to God in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus called them out. Here's what Jesus said. John chapter five. Look at this. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. But you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Here's what happens. We come to the water gate. And, and yeah, I think the water gate may refer to the Bible. But we stop at the gate and we just read a verse. We open the app on our phone. Man, don't you love the Bible app? You open the Bible app and there's the verse of the day. Boy, that makes me feel good because I checked that off my to-do list for today. Now let's go for a run. You come to church every Sunday. You check that off your to-do list. You listen to worship music in the car until you get tired of it and then you click over to 70s on 7. And you're just going through all the forms, but have you really connected to Jesus? Have you gone through the gate to get to the water? 
Because the water gate isn't about reading your Bible. The water gate is about drinking the living water that Jesus gives. You with me? I need a volunteer. And I knew Jason Birkenpass would volunteer. So thank you for shooting your hand up there, Jason. Come on down, Jason. Come on over here. I know you're a farmer, so you probably won't mind getting a little wet. That's all right. Right? Yeah, you can hold that. This is a bucket with water in it. Sure is. This is a sponge. And when I bought this sponge a while ago, it said it was a thirsty sponge. That means it's going to soak up a lot of water, right? No, so, you're nervous? No. Oh, okay, let me, let me take the, the bucket from you. Let, let me ask you a question. What happens if you're hanging out with one of your guy friends and he just shoves you? What are you going to do? Probably shove him back as a joke, though. Oh, playing. just playing. Just playing. Yeah, just okay. playing. But probably a little bit of retaliation, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. What happens when the city government does something to you that's just totally wrong and they really piss you off? Oh, that's happened. I know it has. That's hard, isn't it? Say words. Yes, I, I can imagine the words. If you need some water in your life, is the bucket going to help you at all if it doesn't have water in it? It's like the water gate. It really doesn't have a lot of value until you put water in the bucket. And the sponge, when you fill up the sponge, if I squeeze it, it's really thirsty. It's got a lot of water. <laughs> what happens if you poke the sponge? If the water is Jesus and you get poked, what comes out of you? Yeah. You know your next job is to go get a mop. What if the city government really gets after you and they just squeeze you for all you're worth? What comes out of you? Jesus. This is why we need Jesus, am I right? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is life. The stuff we do or use or consume to cope just causes death and destruction, right? Don't we need more of Jesus? It's really wet up here. No, just don't worry about it. Thank you, Jason. Oh, Emily's on it. Emily, you're amazing. As soon as you saw the bucket, that's awesome. Emily's our team lead for facilities around here. She's right on it. 
Thank you, M. One more thing. And then we're going to pray and we're going to sing. Emily, that's good. I'll, I'll get it when we're done. Thank you so much. I won't slip. Remember when I said that the water gate was the only gate that didn't need repairs? It's because this is the gate that leads to Jesus. Nothing will ever be corrupted or destroyed or torn down about Jesus. He's the word of God. And when he speaks to you, and when he says to you, God the Father is crazy about you. That truth will never be corrupted. No matter what you feel, or no matter what you've done, or no matter how lousy the world makes you feel, no matter what your dad told you when you were growing up, Promises of Jesus will never be corrupted. When Jesus says, come to me if you're heavy burdened and I will give you rest. That is true for now and all eternity. Because the, the water gate can never be destroyed. The water gate is all about thirst. I'm thirsty for Jesus. What about you? Have you been quenching the thirst with some other crap? The dung that should have been taken out a couple weeks ago? Can you come to Jesus and drink? Musicians, would you come? Jason, would you come? I asked Jason to lead us in an activation. I'm asking Jason to lead us to Jesus today. Jesus is what we're thirsty for. So the water gate's about thirst, right? Everybody understand that? And I think he challenged us today with what are we drinking, right? Are we in times of stress and times of trouble? Are we going back to food? Are we looking for relationships? Are we looking for money? But today the thirst needs to be Jesus. So what I want us to do today, the first thing, <clears throat> I just want everybody just to <clears throat> just close your eyes. And the first thing you need to do is ask Jesus 
Well, let's take this a step back. If you don't know my Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. Everybody's got their eyes closed. So if that's you, if you're saying, man, I, this is speaking to me. This is hitting the nail on the head. I need to know this Jesus. If that's you, just, just raise your hand for me. Nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to be embarrassed about. He just wants a relationship with you. So the second thing is, as, we, as your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you've been a part of this church, you know that we believe that he is always speaking. Always, always, always speaking to us. And so Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you would right now reveal to us, to each and every one of us, is there something that we're thirsting for that we shouldn't be. And so we're just going to sit here for just a moment. The silence will be uncomfortable. But I believe he's going to speak to you. So Holy Spirit, right now, speak to us. If there's anything that we are thirsting for that is not of you, that does not bring us into a better relationship from you, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal it right now. the next part let's see if, you've re if, he, if he's revealed something to you everybody still got their eyes closed I want you to raise your hand if you feel he's revealed something to you hey Jason there's something in your life <laughs> that I need to take care of if that's you just raise your hand for me So now let's everybody stand. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Okay, before I do that, is anybody experiencing like vertigo or like dizziness today? dizzy all of a sudden. All right, keep your hands up. If you, dizziness, keep your hands up. Lay, lay your hands on the people around you that are 
that are dizzy. I'm going to pray for that real quick. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we command vertigo to go right now in your name. We command everything in the, uh, the ear to be restored. Lord, balance, equilibrium, all those things. We command the vertigo and the dizziness to go right now. The dizziness at least to like an upset stomach. Problems walking, concentrating, all those things right now. I command that thing to go right now in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, God, that you are our healer. Thank you, God, that you are our restorer. Thank you, God, that you are all things to us. So, Lord, as we have, have, have we have prayed and we have contemplated and we have sought you out today, Lord. I pray that right now that you would begin to redirect mindsets about the way we think, about the things that we thirst for. And Lord, I just declare that no longer will we look to food. No longer will we look to relationships. No longer will we look to pornography. No longer will we look to those things of the world, Lord. That we would just become a church that is hungers and we thirst for righteousness, Lord. We thirst for you, Lord. You're reminding me of the revivals that are going on all across this country, not just on Asbury, Lord, but at colleges across this nation where, where, where young people are thirsting for you, Lord. They're, they're setting aside their schedules. They're setting aside everything, Lord, just to focus and you and you're, you're just you're beginning to pour out. So the same thing, Lord, we're not asking for a mimic of what's going on, Lord. We're asking for a change of heart, a change of mindsets, a change of direction today, Lord. When we declare that we are going to begin to hunger and thirst for you, Lord, you are the water of life. And through you, Lord, we will, we will thirst no more. So come, Holy Spirit, today. Come, change us, change our minds, Lord. We're surrendering it to you, Lord. We're going through that water gate, and we're only looking to you as our source of strength. Lord, your word tells us our help comes from you. And so, Lord, we thirst, and we ask for your help today. And as we worship today, Lord, I pray that you would just move in us, and you would just remind us, Lord, of how much you love us how much you gave for us, Lord, and how you poured yourself out on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life with you. Lord, the way that we uh, should thirst for you, Lord, you thirst for us just to come to you. So, Lord, no matter the situations, it may be problems with our homes, it may be problems with our health, it may be problems with our work, it may be the passing of a loved one, it may be crazy things in this world, Lord, that we're looking to and the fears of what's to come. We put our hope and our faith and our trust in you today, Lord. And we thirst for you. We thirst for you today. Lord, we're just going to pour out what we have to you as we worship in this last song. And we declare this in your name, Father. Amen.